The the USOs, the unidentified submersible objects, they're pretty interesting, and I'm and glad to see that they're finally come to the forefront as well in the broader discussion. Yeah. Transmedium, as they call them. Transmedium. Yeah, that they can they can go through any sort of material environment, whether it's space or or submerged in in water. Well, you know, all of this is definitely a highly controversial topic, subject matter, but definitely a high interest. And if you don't think it is, or anybody that doesn't think it is, just take a look at all the UFO sci-fi television shows and movies and things that are out there. It, to me, it's like, why would we have such an interest in that if we don't have some sort of interest in in the real life as yeah. far as UFOs, UAPs? Thank you for returning to listen to part two of my conversation with author Martin Keller, The Space Pen Club. We begin by talking about Hollywood and the government agency. Well, the subjects become a huge cottage industry within the entertainment world. And, you know, from the, from the 50s forward, you know, you can probably list some of the bad B movies that were made about those were great those were great though those are like what some of the best. Yeah, they're, they're they're great guilty pleasures they're fun to watch their their effects are cheesy and you know some of them were very good but you know it's it's now a, a whole genre in hollywood and yeah. and the as i said and i think it might have been the proposal for my book i said you know the appetite for information and knowledge on this subject is is universal and it's and it's never satisfied because people want to know yeah people uh, ask are we alone which is a question that always disturbs me because we're on a planet that will have eight billion people on it by november of this year and uh, i don't think alone in space <laughs> don't we have each other shouldn't that be enough if there's other interstellar visitors, all the better. But people do want answers. And, you know, on my more cynical days, I, I, I don't think we're ever going to get them. Not a straight answer. But I would be delighted if we did. If there was a true disclosure where the governments of the world said, yeah, these things are from Alpha Centauri and five or six other places. And here's how they get here. And we're going to establish, you know, a, a mission or some sort of diplomatic opening to them. And we'll learn a whole bunch more. We'll all go back to kindergarten again. You know, that'll be the day. And it would be so interesting if anything like that could happen in my lifetime. But like I said, I, I highly doubt that as much as I would love for it and to see it and for it to be that way. I don't have any confidence that it will happen. Well, I, I kind of feel the same way, but then I think who who knew that the New York Times would put this on the front page <laughs> instead of the National Enquirer, you know, back in 2017. Anything but, can happen, but will it? I don't know. Yeah. Stay tuned. Exactly. You know, speaking of stay tuned, what's next for you as far as writing goes, aside from the Space Pen Club? Well, I'm still blogging regularly at uh, www.thespacepenclub.com. I try to blog once or twice a month, although I've been pretty negligent in August because I've been so busy with my 
my regular public relations work, but I started a new book about Bob Dylan. The world probably needs another book on Dylan about as much as it needed another book about UFOs and the paranormal, but there you go. I, I mean, I think I have some fresh insights on Dylan that maybe other writers and Dylanologists don't have. I, I had a three, four hour interview with him in 83 when Infidels came out in 1990. I spent a week on the never ending tour. I knew a lot of his close friends in the Twin Cities area. I spent some time with him socially. So there's, I think there's a good tale there. Um, there can never be too many books on Bob Dylan. Especially you have your experiences, somebody else has theirs. Yeah, you know, it's just a matter of marketing, number one. But having something new to say, <clears throat> probably more important, and hopefully I'll have that. I mean, a lot of people who've read the Space Pen book says it has expanded their thinking on it. I mean, I still have close friends that think I'm completely off the ledge, and my book is incomprehensible, blah, blah, blah. And then I have other people who say, you know, this is, this is a, this is a page turner based on my experiences, but also my intera interactions with, sorry, I got a motorcycle going, racing by him, but also my interactions with some of the key researchers in the field and, and also many interactions with media. There's a whole chapter dedicated to how poorly media has handled this and that's set in the volcano zone of Mexico where we I went down with the C-SETI team to do some investigative work because Mexico if you want to see UFOs go to Mexico in particular the volcano zone it's right outside of Mexico City about 42 miles away beautiful there's an active volcano down there and then a silent one they're kind of twin twin peaks if you will but the active one is one of the largest volcanoes in North America, Mount Popo, as the locals call it. And there is, there's been quite a bit of UFO, UFO activity there. In fact, there's a web camera trained on that. It has picked up some startling images, not just around the volcano, but going and coming from the cone, the cone of the volcano. Pretty, pretty mind-blowing. Anyway, that whole chapter is set down there with this CBS crew from 48 Hours who unfortunately made us look like like rubes, like real gringos out, out in the volcanic zone trying to vector in spaceships from who knows where. But when you read the book, you get a whole different perspective. On it. Do you have your own theory or thoughts as far as why these UFOs, UAPs are heavily concentrated in certain areas, like it said, volcanic activity, volcanoes, military bases. Because first thing that comes to my mind is energy source, power, volcano, magna, military bases, things like that. I, I don't know if you've got a thought. Or I don't have anything conclusive. I think the well-documented cases of these objects probing, <laughs> excuse me, are nuclear bases around the country. And this has also happened worldwide. Pause for one second to take a drink. I think that's that's a really interesting uh, development, and it's been ongoing for quite a few years since the dawn of the atomic age. And in chapter four, I get into some pretty good detail about 
such an incident that happened at Minot Air Force Base, which is about 100 miles from where I grew up in western North Dakota. And this is a friend of mine, Tom Tallin, who lives in Minneapolis, not too far from me, did a really terrific job on this, and it's posted online. You can read it. He interviewed all the pilots involved. People on the ground saw it, and a bomb, plane in the air, bombing, bombing, t I don't want to call them a bombing crew, but a crew that was piloting a, a bomber doing a routine daily was on its way back from its run, and they saw the object in the, in the air. So you've got people, you've got military personnel on the ground, and aviators in the air and uh, you know there, there's some perfect triangulation for you mm -hmm. and the, you know everyone said the same thing and then the cherry on top is that this object was able to disable a silo a launch silo and move the concrete block like a 20 ton concrete block off the silo so capability that would give anyone that's in the national security industry will give them the willies. I mean, it's like, what the hell are these things doing around our, our nuclear bases? And Robert Hastings has written an entire book about Robert Salas, has held some of his own meetings in Washington about about these things, probing our, our nuclear, our atomic capabilities at different different bases like Maelstrom in Montana. So I think that was also brought up by Representative Gallagher from Wisconsin during the congressional hearings. He point blank at the two guys from DOD. Are you familiar with this? And no, they weren't, which I think made them look rather ridiculous. But wow. I was very glad to, to hear that type of questioning from a sitting congressional person on this committee. Here's a book title suggestion for you when you're ready to write a, we'll call it a part two to the memoir of the Space Pen Club. It'll be called Prime Directive, and it'll be talking about the power, why UFOs, UAPs are hovering around nuclear bases and volcanic activity. Is there a prime directive to interfere, not interfere, or to prevent us from doing something? You know, I, when I was really heavily involved with CSETI in the 90s, I always heard from other people in the UFO world, or the UFO ghetto, as Steve Greer liked to call it, <laughs> that there really was a prime directive and they would not intervene except in really dire situations, maybe, you know, to prevent a, a world war and the use of nuclear weapons. But again, who knows? I mean, these are, these are big questions. We don't have the answers and I'm sure the people that know or who are charged with knowing, they're probably not going to be forthcoming with the answers themselves. No, we'll get those pages with blacked out spots all over it, 80% <laughs> of it, and you get 20%. Here's 100% of the book, but there's only 20% of the information. Yeah, the, the heavy use of redaction. Mm -hmm. So once again, where can folks go to get your book? Amazon is the best, the best place. It's quick. It's a reasonably priced. It's not a bad way to go. I know people have a lot of misgivings about giving Jeff Bezos more money, but it's pretty efficient. And for the time being, click it on there. You know what? I'll give him my money because it's convenient. Besides that, he, he and Elon are using their SpaceX and their Blue Origin, and they're the ones that are going to go to Mars before any government agency. I think it's going to be the private sector. Yeah, they might, and they might also be the first to have some real encounters in 
in space, which I think is one reason why we're seeing the government scramble to try to get out in front of that and, and manage it when that does happen. And it, I think it will happen. Yeah, and that's what we call close encounters of the fifth kind. It's us, humankind, mankind, making that approach. I don't know what, how to say it, but we, we initiate the contact, right? Yeah, we do. Yeah. Although Dr. Greer's got a whole set of contact protocols for that in close encounter of the fifth kind that, that involve three modalities, mind, sound, and light. And, you know, if your listeners are very interested, I highly recommend watching his film, Close Encounters of the Fifth Kind, which talks about the process and the results. And it's a, it's a, it's a mind expander, a mind zoomer, as we would call it back in the real space pen club which there actually Greer's other films on the secrecy unacknowledged and serious are also worth your time okay i would really like to have you back on to really talk about, well what do we call it the paranormal now i'm at a, a loss of words for what it's called as far as mind transfer as far as being also being able to project and yourself and to see what's on the other side, that type of thing, since the military yeah, was in remote viewing. Remote viewing, yes. If you're at all into any of that, I would definitely love to have you on and just have an open conversation about that, maybe with a couple of guests or something. Yeah, that'd be fun. I think, for me, that's the final frontier. And Colonel John Alexander, in his book called Myths, Conspiracies, and Realities, he writes, we agree that at times physical crafts craft exist, but there's much more to the phenomena. Unfortunately, true boundaries are unknown. It seems certain that human consciousness is at least part of the formula. And I, I think that's absolutely right. There's another favorite quote of mine in the book, and we can wrap it up on this note if you want. This quote is almost 100 years old, and it was delivered by J.B.S. Hall, a British geneticist and evolutionary biologist who said, the universe is not only stranger than we suppose, although he used the word queer, which obviously has changed in a hundred years, but it's queerer than we can suppose. And that's kind of where I leave things. And I'm, I'm waiting for the universe to, to enlighten us in the next phase of, the, of, of whatever it is that's going to happen. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. I've enjoyed our conversation and I, I need to get your book. And you can put me first in line for your Bob Dylan one as well. Very good. Thanks again, Chuck, for the time. It was a good conversation. I'd be happy to come back.